Mark chapter 10, verse 32. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. This really is what our sermon is about this morning. It's about finding glory in the right place. So if you turn back to Mark chapter 10 and this section that we read earlier, uh, verses 32 to 52, it would be helpful. There is a longing in every human heart to be great, for others to know our name, for other people in this world to know who we really are. It's why tens of thousands of people apply every year for reality shows. It's why there's this constant push in our world towards promotion and position and 
plastic surgery and many other things. People want to be seen. People want their name to be known beyond their own housing estates. And so thousands of people find their worth, not in God or why he has made us, but we, find, we seek to find our worth in our, in our perceived impact on our world or how famous we have become. How many people know our name? There's an author called Lewis Howes, and he describes himself as a rejected and awkward kid in school. And he says, when I was in school, everybody despised me, but I longed for greatness. He found a, an outlet in sport. He was very gifted. Uh, he became an American football star. And then he left that to become a decathlete, broke a world record. A lot of people knew his name. And then he had a career-ending injury. And he was on his sister's sofa, sleeping there one night. He'd lost everything. And he said, I still long for greatness. And so he channeled all his efforts into finding a new skill. And then he built a multi-million pound marketing company. He reached the pinnacle. But he kept saying, this isn't enough. I'm still not great. And so he sold his half of the business to his business partner. He left everything and he began what he calls the school of greatness. And you can listen to his podcast on iTunes. It's one of the top five podcasts. He's written multiple books, all called The School of Greatness. His top tips, if you're listening, if you're writing notes, <laughs> include creating a vision, cultivating a champion's mindset, mastering your body, and working long, hard days. The School of Greatness, it's all about you. It's all about how hard you might work. Innately, we all know this, that we are made in the image of a great God. And because of that, there is a longing in our hearts to reflect him in some way, to have and experience a personal greatness. And we find this in Scripture, that Scripture does have a high and exalted view of each one of us. Listen to this. This is a psalm describing us in astounding terms as made a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor, made as rulers over the works of God's hands with everything under our feet. Describing what it means for us to be made in God's image. And scripture is more than happy for us to be truly great. And Jesus isn't afraid of this either. He speaks a lot about greatness and how to become truly great. You want to have a world impact? You need to listen to scripture. You want to be great? You need to listen to Jesus because he wants us to be truly great people. But as we see in our passage this morning, his teaching on it is counterintuitive because it tells us that we so often, almost always, look for greatness in all the wrong places that we have far too low a view of what it really means to be great in this world. Because when we see ourselves as the ultimate object of our own glory, we have aimed far too low. Look firstly in verses 32 to 34, where Jesus shows us what true greatness actually looks like on the ground. 
on earth. Jesus shows us here that true greatness is seen at a cross. He shows us that it's not found in self-promotion, but in self-sacrifice. Notice there are two words in verse 32 and 33 that are significant. Two words. The first word is up. It's repeated twice. The second word is leading, or translated in some versions as going before or walking ahead. These verses say that Jesus is on his way up to his final promotion. He's leading the way in upward mobility. He's about to reach the pinnacle of his career in Jerusalem, the moment that will make him famous for the rest of human history is about to arrive. He's on his way up. He's on his way, says the passage, from Jericho to Jerusalem. But his way up is not just geographical. He's on his way up the fame ladder. He's about to become known. But this ladder stretches up not towards a throne, but towards a cross. Here he is. He's walking ahead of his disciples. He's leading them upwards. He's walking ahead of them. He's showing them what it means to be upwardly mobile. We're told here, aren't we, that his followers are both amazed and afraid at his determination to go up. Jesus, seeing their amazement and fear, he draws the 12 aside to tell them why it is he is leading them so strongly in this direction. Where will the up eventually lead? With frightening determination, Jesus is heading up to Jerusalem to give his life as a sacrifice for sinners. He's going up to Jerusalem to be betrayed by a friend, to stand before a kangaroo court, to be mocked and flogged and scorned and rejected and killed and then to rise again. The disciples were afraid and amazed at his determination to go up before they heard why. How much more astonished would they have been once they discovered that he is going upwards to go downwards, to go up to sacrifice himself. Here is a man who is determined at all costs to die. What kind of leadership is this? What kind of fame desires death? What kind of moving up in the world is this kind? This is a going down sort of up. This is a promotion to a tomb. We might say that Jesus is quite literally dead famous. And his sacrifice will lead the worst of humanity, you and me, and the disciples, and all around, this sacrifice will lead us to the holy God, to be reconciled to him, and then to be ourselves promoted to eternal life. Jesus is going up to die to promote us and not himself. And this is the heart of true greatness. A greatness that gives, that sacrifices, that promotes others above themselves. 
Here we see Christ's heart revealed in a remarkable way. Because his heart is not for self-promotion, but for the despised and the rejected and the outcast of the world. His heart is not for his own safety and security, but for ours, that we might be eternally secure, having received life from him. I read the most moving words uh, in the last few weeks from an 18th century pastor called Benjamin Grosner. And in this sermon, he imagines what Jesus says to the apostles as he sends them out to go and preach the gospel to all creatures. And he says, in one of his final instructions in the sermon, he tells them what to say if they should ever meet that Roman soldier who took the spear and pierced the heart of Christ. This is what, how Benjamin imagines it looking. He, said, he hears Jesus saying this, he says to his disciples, if you meet that poor wretch who thrust the spear into my side, tell him there's another way, a better way to come at my heart. If he will repent and look upon him who he has pierced and will mourn, I will cherish him in that very heart he pierced. He shall find the blood he shed an ample atonement for the sin of shedding it and tell him from me. He will put me to more pain and displeasure by refusing this offer of my blood than when he drew my blood forth. This is the moving reality of the leadership of the Lord Jesus. His heart, he deliberately allowed to be broken, to be wounded in order to draw sinners like us to himself. This is the reason Jesus went up to Jerusalem. This is the reason he longed to be known. In his own words, he says this, I, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all people to myself. Christ wants to be known, but he wants to be known as the sacrificial leader who gives his life for rebels and outcasts and sinners and the unclean. He went up for our promotion from earth to heaven. I wonder this morning, will your heart be melted by this love and grace of Jesus Christ? The only one who is truly great, yet for our sake, he became poor. And then secondly, in verses 35 to 45, we find that true greatness is not seen in looking for position. There is a way to lead quite differently from Christ's example, a way that is common both in our world and unfortunately sometimes even in a church. There is a way to lead that contradicts every single way that Jesus leads. It's a seeking for self-promotion at the expense of everyone else. Enemies, friends, everybody must be pushed down as we use them as a stepping stone to our own greatness, trampling ourselves in order to exalt others. All of us, don't we, we have elements of this desire in our sinful hearts to push others down in order that we might be seen. We see it here in James and John, the disciples. 
they hear from Jesus's own lips that he is about to go up to die and then to rise. And they realize what they've just heard when he says that. Jesus, they think, and they know, he's about to bring in this new promised era, the era of the Messiah, who has come to save sinners and to bring in his kingdom and to glorify the name of God on this world. If Jesus is about to do this, then that means this, the new kingdom, the era has arrived, the day of glory is imminent. For them, Jesus talking about his death was not, wow, what a God of grace. It was, right, this is my chance. This is my chance for greatness and glory. We might put it this way. They enjoyed the glory of Jesus, mainly because it meant their own glory. It's a, one, it's a, a strange, twisted way of thinking, isn't it? That is innate in so many of us because of our fallenness. Even when we long for the glory of Jesus, we twist it in such a way that we go, right, this is my opportunity to be seen and known. You see, they can hardly hide their excitement about what it means for them. Their self-promotion is this uncontained arrogance. Verse 35, teacher, we've just heard what you said about death, resurrection. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. What kind of arrogance is that? The boldness is incredible. And it's only surpassed by verse 37 as they express what they want. Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Do you see that last, the last two words? Isn't it funny? When you sit in your glory, can we be seen to be glorious? It's all about your glory, Lord. But what a chance for me. Here's my moment. Here's my fame moment. Let me, see, let me be seen, Lord, as near to the top as I possibly can be in your kingdom. For your glory alone, of course, Lord. It's all about you. I, I don't mind which side I sit on. I'm happy with the left or the right. As long as I'm in one of the two, it's for your glory, Lord, and it's nothing about me. But left or right. Is that okay? Here is this proud self-promotion at its finest dressed in the garb of humility. For your glory alone, Lord, let us sit on a throne. But he says to them, I haven't got a throne for you, but I've got two other gifts. I've got a cup and a baptism. And what he means is, of course, as we read it, we'd know, he's got a cup of sacrifice and a baptism of suffering. He says to them, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? He's talking of how in the next few days he will drink the cup of God's wrath. He will be baptized under the suffering of this world's mockery and rejection and suffering for the sake of others. Can they do that? Can they drink that cup, be baptized with that baptism? They say, yes, we can. Why do they say, yes, we can? Because they don't realize yet 
what it means to drink this cup or be baptized in this way. They think it's a cup of pleasure and a baptism of glory. So they say, yes, we can. We can do this. Jesus says, you will drink. And you will be baptized, but not in your pleasure. And not for your glory, but in suffering for the sake of the gospel. In the future, you will see that there is no throne for you. There's only your cross. Now, we might not be as blatant as these two were. And in fact, the disciples were angry with them for being so blatant. But all of us, to some degree or another, suffer from this sinful need to be glorified, to be known, to be seen. And it gets uglier the more obvious we are in our self-promotion. But I think the ugliest it can ever reach is when we say, when we tag the line at the end, Lord, let me be seen. Let the church see that I'm amazing. Let the world see that I'm glorious for your glory, Lord. There's nothing more devious, more subtle, and more horrific than that, to pretend that our self-promotion is actually for the glory of God, because it never is. Perhaps we have a deep need in church life to point out to others what we have done in God's service. For the glory of God, I want you to know that I have served X, Y, and Z. There's often a subtle difference in working for God's honor than just working for our own honor. We've all met that Christian, haven't we? And they're so quiet. They seem to be new, doing nothing in church. And then you hear after a year that they've been serving someone just extravagantly, self-sacrificially for the whole year, for years, and never heard about it. And it just comes to light because they did it for God's glory. They never let you know. I heard about a pastor a few years back in America who's voted the most humble pastor in America. And the, the congregation was so pleased, they gave him a medal, said the humblest pastor in America. They had to take it off him the next week because he wore it. <laughs> but uh, this, is the, this is the reality, isn't it? People say, what a humble man you are. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Never thought about it before. I am, I am actually very humble. And I just want you to let you know, I agree with you. <laughs> Jesus warns we mustn't reflect that kind of world-centered leadership within the church. What did he say in verse 42? You know what the world looks like. You know how they lead. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. For whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. We want to reflect Christ in the way that we serve. And to do that, we are to go upwards. We are to be upwardly mobile in being a slave to all, serving others in quietness and faithfulness so that the people that we are serving are promoted they are lifted up. They are strengthened and helped and encouraged. And our name is forgotten in the dust. 
We should lead the way, shouldn't we, by not promoting ourselves, but by putting others first. There's a great verse in Scripture that says, outdo one another in love. Outdo others in honoring each other. If you want to be competitive in church life, be competitive by seeing how quietly servantly, how quiet, quietly servanthood like you can be. Serving others without telling anyone else. So in what ways this week can we serve others quietly so that we are forgotten, but they are blessed? Perhaps even there are areas we require repentance, where we have sought to be exalted rather than to exalt Christ in the way that we have been. There is coming a day, says Scripture, when the arrogance of man will be brought low, human pride humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted. May we serve Christ in the light of that day, so that on that day, we will be exalted to the right place where he decides. His name alone will be truly exalted. And then thirdly, in verses 46 to 52, the end, we are shown that true greatness is seen in deliberately serving the most outcast person we can find. If you write a note, sorry, it's a long sentence, but (laughs) true greatness is seen in serving the most outcast. Here Jesus leaves the big thronging crowds who long to listen to him, who long to promote him and say how amazing he is. He leaves them all in order to go and serve one rejected blind man in a lonely alleyway. Contrary to the the inclination of sinful hearts to be known and adored by crowds, Jesus shows us what a pure heart looks like. A heart that seeks not for fame, but to serve those whom society has forgotten. One sitting helplessly on the corner, a struggling single mum, the abandoned orphan, the sick and the dying. Here Christ meets a man in desperate needs, a man who has struggled so long that he has no desire for glory, no interest in that. He's long given up any sort of ambitions to be promoted. He comes to Christ not, can I sit on the left or the right? Unlike the should-have-known-better disciples, he doesn't want fame. He doesn't want promotion. He just wants mercy. Son of David. Son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd say, shh, it's busy. He says again, son of David, have mercy on me. They say, quiet. Got more important things to do than serve people like you. He shouts again and again until they get frustrated. Son of David, I want mercy. James and John, they cry, give me what I deserve. Glory, fame, promotion, greatness. Bartimaeus, he says, give me what I don't deserve. Sight. Mercy, hope. It's interesting, the contrast, isn't it? The disciples come, give me what I want. Bartimaeus comes, give me what I want. What do you want, disciples? I want greatness, glory. What do you want, Bartimaeus? Mercy. Jesus says no to his own disciples, but yes to Bartimaeus. For while the disciples 
were truly blind, blind to their own pride, blind to their own Christ-demeaning request. This blind man had a profound clarity about his own need of who he was and of who, who he was speaking to. He knew much better than the disciples who Jesus was and who he was. Bartimaeus reveals, doesn't he, that he's far more self-aware and far more knowledgeable of Jesus than were Christ's closest followers. Your glory, my glory. No, says Bartimaeus. Your glory, my mercy. He grasps three clear things. Firstly, Bartimaeus grasps that his case is hopeless. No one in the world can enable him to see. And without sight, he cannot function in a culture that requires you to see in order to work and to work in order to eat. He realizes that his case is hopeless. Secondly, he grasps who Jesus is. Repeatedly, he calls him son of David, son of David, revealing that he is convinced in his mind that Jesus is the promised Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the hope of the lost, the salvation of the needy, the opener of the blind eyes. And then thirdly, he grasps what he truly needs from Jesus. He doesn't demand what he deserves. He doesn't come and say, I have rights. He comes and he says, I know that the only right way to come to you is not asking for what I deserve, but for asking for what I don't deserve. To ask, give me what I deserve, meet my rights would be proud and demanding. But to come and say, I have nothing to offer you and I have no hope in this world, will you just give me mercy? He needs mercy. He doesn't deserve anything from the one against whom he has sinned. Yet this Christ is so full of compassion and so full of mercy that he absolutely loves that kind of request. When we come to him and say, God, give me what I deserve, right? I'm here before your throne. I have rights here. You made me in your image. Give me what I want. He says, no. But if we come humbly and say, I don't deserve anything from you. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. He says, I'll meet your every need, your deepest need, your greatest need, your need of eternal life and salvation. Have mercy on me is the cry of those who truly see, even if they can't physically see. Many of you will have heard of Helen Keller. She was a blind and deaf author and activist. Someone once came to Helen Keller and said, isn't it terrible to be blind? And Helen Keller said, better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two, two good eyes and see nothing. And this is the reality. This is the contrast between the disciples and Bartimaeus. They could see everything, but could actually see nothing because they sought their own glory. He could see nothing, but actually he saw everything. 
because he sought mercy. Here's the difference. Here is the contrast. Here is what distinguishes everyone who wants to be great. If you want to be truly great, come to Christ and seek not yourself or your own glory, but to seek Christ and his salvation. Seek to go up by serving others. Seek to be promoted in promoting others. Seek to bless and help the most outcast person you know. Here is the contrast. If we seek our own glory, say, God, for your glory, let me be great. And let everyone see me for who I think I am. It's only demotion. It's only loss. One leads to life and salvation. One leads to loss and hopelessness. So what do we do this morning with this innate desire for success and to be seen? How do we climb this ladder of success? We have a couple of firemen here uh, in the congregation. But if we are to seek true promotion, we are to climb the ladder of success like a fireman climbs a ladder. A fireman climbs a ladder to meet the needs of others, to go into danger themselves, to rescue others from the fire. That's a true ladder of success, isn't it? It's to go up in order to serve, to rescue, to redeem, to help, to give of ourselves, to, to work hard, to sweat and to strain in order to bring others to experience the mercy of Christ for themselves. I've never seen our firemen climb a ladder, but I've seen videos of firemen dressed in uh, their clothes, their protective suits, their oxygen masks, climbing that ladder. And you never know, do you? Who is behind that mask? Who's behind that suit, that protective suit? They're unseen, unknown. They're climbing the ladder, but they're helping others. That's what Christ did. He went up to Jerusalem. He led the way. He said, no, I don't want to be known here. I want to rescue you. This is the way of humility, to give of ourselves, uncaring where others will ever know our name, saying, I don't want to be seen. I want to serve and to give my life in self-sacrifice that others might be promoted ahead of me. A man called D.L. Moody once said it well when he said, the beginning of greatness is to be little. The increase of greatness is to be less. And the perfection of greatness is to be nothing. So may we climb. Let's pray.